Well, good morning. Great to see you. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest, welcome to Northridge. You chose a great time as we start this brand new series called Encounters. If you're a regular part of this family, thank you for being a part. And I, man, I, I am so appreciative of our creative and production team. Uh, it's just an amazing thing. That video bumper, after having the one we had for so long, the spoken word, that just is dramatic and change. It just shows the diversity of creativity in here. If you ever forget the series that we're in and you want to remember, just look at my feet right here, Encounters. Would you give our creative team a big hand as they've made this turnaround? It's great. Well, there is one common experience that every single person who's ever come to know God shares. They've had a genuine encounter with God. And when they do, it changes everything. This is what happened to Moses at the burning bush and to Peter when he was walking along the beach and with Paul traveling on the Damascus Road. It's what happened to me, to be honest, though I would never put myself in these men's category. It's the encounter I've had with God that has changed and redefined my whole life. And to be honest with you, this is what needs to happen to each and every one of you, an encounter with God. Of course, it's important to understand that each encounter is unique. People have an encounter with God and it's so important and vital to them, often they try and force you into experiencing the same kind of encounter, but all you have to do is read the Bible and you can know that as unique as every person is, so is each encounter unique. We can't judge one another by our encounter, but we can challenge each other to make sure we've had the encounter. Because when you encounter God, it changes the direction of your entire life. And so in this series, we're going to look at some of the unique encounters that people experienced in the Bible so that we can draw from them and learn from them what an encounter with God in our lives can create. And here's the good news that you just have to embrace. God is still revealing himself today. You can still encounter him. You don't have to be jealous of those who once lived when God was working because God is working today. We need to start looking for him. So our prayer for you during this series is that you'll open yourself up to the idea of encountering God and then by faith take a step towards experiencing that encounter because he's not holding out on you. He's not playing hide-and-seek with you. He wants you to know him. We're kicking off this journey together this weekend with the story of the Samaritan woman, and you can read her whole story in John chapter 4. I'll be reading some of the scriptures as I go through the truths of this conversation, but rather than reading the whole story to you this morning, we thought we would show you the story 
courtesy of our good friend Dallas Jenkins and his amazing series, The Chosen. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, would you ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? And a woman? I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon. In the heat, so you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to throw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Wrong story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah, exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. 
God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. <sighs> and you know these things. Because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. I have to be honest with you, I've watched that just so many times and I can't keep from getting emotional. It's dramatic. Unfortunately, here's what 
people miss when they're exposed to these Bible encounters. They, they miss themselves. Because here's the reality. The Samaritan woman that you just experienced in story form, the Samaritan woman is a picture of us. She's a picture of our lives. God is telling us through this encounter, He's showing us what's going on in us, what's going on with us. And here's what it is. We're thirsty. Every day, we're seeking to find satisfaction, but we never really find it in any way more than that which is just temporary. Like this woman, each day at the well, we have to keep scrounging for more, trying to find just something that might quench the thirst, give us a little satisfaction. And the real question is, why? What's the reason that drives our thirst behind our dissatisfaction? And it's simple. It's just that most don't believe it. It's simple because God has clearly stated it. But we live in a culture that has decided God is irrelevant if he even exists at all. And so they can't ever figure out what's really missing. The reason behind our thirst is that we're disconnected from the only source for satisfaction. And that's what this story is about. So we have this constant thirst because only God has the living water that can spring up and always keep us satisfied and nothing else will do it. And so we live in a perpetual absence of satisfaction. And it's so perpetual, so consistent, so ongoing that it it actually becomes normal. We accept the thirst as life as it's supposed to be, but it's not. The problem is we're looking for satisfaction, something to quench our thirst through temporary, incomplete, replacements and alternatives. We're settling for temporary, cheap, incomplete alternatives. We replace God to try and find our satisfaction. And don't get me wrong, we replace God with all kinds of things. We replace God with good things and bad things, meaningful things and meaningless things, but of course, in the end, it doesn't matter, good or bad, meaningful or meaningless, when we're replacing God, there's one thing that's always in common. They don't solve the thirst problem. They don't satisfy us. They don't fill us. They might temporarily relieve it, but then all of a sudden it comes back in full force because replacements for God, alternatives to God, are not a cure. They're just a cover. And when the thirst comes back, it comes back with a vengeance. You want to have a physical example of it? When you're really thirsty sometime, just drink a good dose 
of salt water. And it'll relieve it for a second. It'll feel good for a second. It'll feel like the right thing to do for a second. But then what happens? The thirst comes back with a greater vengeance than you had in the beginning. And this is the cycle of life. And this is the story of the Samaritan woman. And this, if we're honest, is the story of our lives. We look to things in the natural world to solve our thirst problem, like water in this story. It's what the whole well thing's about. But they don't work, these natural world solutions. And they can't work, if you want the truth, because it's not a natural problem. It's a spiritual problem. That's what was going on with the Samaritan woman. All of these problems defining her life couldn't be solved no matter what she tried. But Jesus showed up and what he said, hey, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for the living water. And the same is true for us. We all look to the natural to solve our problem of thirst, but we do it, just so you know, in very unique ways, in personal ways, because our dissatisfaction manifests itself in very different ways in each of us, because we're all different. And so it takes on different forms and it creates different kinds of thirst. And this explains the bizarre things that people are doing and accepting in our culture these days. I mean, some of us look around and go, what is wrong with people? What is wrong with our culture? That they're believing this, they're buying this, they're defining it, they're destroying our culture because of it, they're destroying their lives because of it. What is going on? What's going on with them is the same thing that's going on with us. They're thirsty, and they'll do anything, anything to try and find satisfaction. They'll dramatically change everything in their lives and destroy it in the end. Why? Because they're thirsty, but it all ends the same way. More thirst. The Samaritan woman was trying everything and anything to satisfy her thirst. Relationships from one to another, five husbands, let's give up on marriage, let's just now live with a guy. What was she doing? She was thirsty. You do this stuff, right? Look around, that's what people are doing. You say, yeah, they're doing it in ways I'd never do it. They're doing the same thing in different ways. They're thirsty. And then she even turns to religion to try and be a cheap replacement for God, the wrong beliefs, the wrong system. She said, which mountain should we worship on? Which religion is right? To which Jesus said, look, none of these things will do it for you. They're all temporary, which is why your soul is still so thirsty. It's important for us to understand that we do the same thing in our lives. We do it with pleasure. Isn't it interesting how we think that if we could just have one kind of pleasure, that would satisfy our thirst. But isn't it interesting how the thirst comes back and needs a greater dose of pleasure? We do it with possessions and power and prosperity and popularity and acceptance, and we do it with philosophy. What's going on with the ever-changing philosophy in our culture as it relates to all these weird issues of sexuality and gender? What's going on is people are thirsty and no matter what they try, no matter what they try, 
They're still thirsty, and so they have to keep trying something else. But the natural world will never bring about a solve for this spiritual problem. Do you know what happens when someone dramatically changes their world to find who they really are and to quench the thirst? In the end, they're still thirsty. It's destroying the world. It's destroying us. This story is at the core of everything we experience. I ask myself the question all the time, what's wrong with me? I'm thirsty. So here's the truth in this story. Truth for all of us, because she is us. We need to understand that Jesus can eliminate our thirst forever. Jesus can genuinely eliminate our thirst forever. Listen to his words right from Scripture that he was saying to her. John chapter 4, I'll give two verses, verse 10 and 14. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He says, you're trying to fill yourself and quench your thirst with the wrong things. But I can give you living water. Can eliminate the thirst that drives you. And just so you know, God shows us these encounters because it has relevance to us. And if we're going to really benefit from it, then we have to make application. And that's where I want to take our conversation with the rest of our time. If we're going to find the satisfaction we're looking for, then we need to recognize exactly what Jesus is telling her in our own lives. If we're going to find something to quench our thirst so we don't destroy ourselves, we need to recognize, first off, that our thirst is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's not a natural one. No matter what you do in this natural world to try and change your world and be who you're supposed to be, you will find yourself just thirsty again. Only thirsty even more. Because it's a spiritual issue. It demands a spiritual solution, not a natural one. There is no amount of pleasure, no amount of prosperity or power that can solve your thirst issue. Nothing we do to change ourselves, no matter how drastic, will eliminate our thirst. They'll just make it worse. Jesus said it. Look at John 4, 11 through 13. The woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with in the well is deep, because all she knew was the natural world and the temporary solutions. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And I'm going to tell you, every solution our world is offering to people will leave people thirsty again. Every solution you try on your own will leave you thirsty again. It's a spiritual issue. So if we're going to find satisfaction the satisfaction that's driving our thirst, then we need to recognize our real problem. And our real problem is sin. 
And you go, oh my gosh, it's always sin. Yes, it is. Because it's what separates us from the only source for living water, God. But let me define sin for you in a way that you'll relate to it instead of this religious, mystical idea of sin you have. Sin is simply seeking satisfaction apart from God. What did Adam and Eve do when they took of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? Eating fruit doesn't sound like a bad thing, but it represented them going to find satisfaction apart from God. And isn't that what everybody seems to be doing in this world? I'm going to quench my thirst my own way. No, you're not. You're drinking salt water. You're destroying your life. And so our real problem is sin, seeking satisfaction apart from God, not the living water only He can hand us. John 4, 15 through 18. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water again. Do you see how she's living in the natural world, this temporary world? She's continually thinking about this water that doesn't really quench her thirst. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. Seems like a little curveball right there. What? He's talking about living water, and then all of a sudden he says, Go call your husband and come back. Why do you do that? Well, look at her answer. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is that you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. What's he doing? He's saying, if you want the living water that really satisfies your thirst, you have to acknowledge that everything you've been trying to fill your life with is leaving you even more thirsty. I'll tell you why you're thirsty, because number one, number two, number three, number four, number five didn't do it, and the way you're going about it now won't do it. You're thirsty, and you have to acknowledge that satisfaction apart from God is simply sin, and that's your problem. And can I just say it? We usually miss this in the story. She's us. I don't know what you think your problem is. That's not your problem. Your problem is that you're trying to find satisfaction apart from God. And just so you know, this isn't a you problem. This isn't us problem. It's my problem because she's us. We have to recognize it. If we're going to find the satisfaction that we're looking for, then, then we need to recognize that our natural reaction to hearing the truth there Jesus was, the truth, sitting at this well she was trying to find her thirst quenched at. It was the wrong thing. He had the living water to offer her. He says, look it, you're drinking from the wrong well. You're looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. I've got the living water. Look to me. And what was her immediate reaction? Her immediate reaction was to dodge the truth and deflect the truth. She didn't want to deal with it. It creates tension. It creates a discomfort. It creates what we don't want to deal with. It goes to the heart of the matter, and we want to keep it easy. When truth gets too personal and begins to really expose us, we, by nature, try to dodge it and deflect from it. You want some proof? Right now, some of you in this room have taken out your phones to look at social media because you don't want to deal with this issue. Other people had an unbelievable urge to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I 
It's normal. I do the same thing. When my wife looks at me and tells me the truth, <laughs> I deflect and I dodge. But you can't do it when it comes to this. This is why we keep seeking to find satisfaction in the way that will never work. It's because we're looking for the easy path, the easy way, the comfortable way. John 4, 19 and 20, look at what she did. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Isn't that a more comfortable topic? This is, a, I've had so many conversations that goes here. We get right to the heart of the matter, you know, they go, oh, so you're a pastor, so what do you think about? And I go, oh my gosh, I'll tell you what I think about it. You're dodging and deflecting. But you'll never get the satisfaction you're looking for when you go there. We need to understand by dodging and deflecting, we're settling, listen to this, this is really important, we're settling for a cover instead of experiencing the cure. When people change their identity, they're settling for a cover instead of finding the cure. We're never going to find what we're really looking for as long as we're trying to solve it the same way. But here's the good news in this encounter. Wherever our well is, you know, the well where we keep going to find satisfaction, for her it was husband after husband, man after man, escape after escape. I don't know where your well is. I do know where my wells are. But wherever our well is, Jesus is there. He must needs go through Samaria. I love the opening of that scene. I don't even know if you noticed that he's sitting at the well and she shows up because Jesus cares that we're thirsty and he wants to offer us living water. We're hiding, but he sees us and he loves us enough to come to us like he came to her. Because remember, she's the picture of us. If we're going to find the satisfaction that we're looking for, then we need to, in the end, recognize that God is the only one who can genuinely quench our thirst, eliminate our thirst, satisfy our thirst. He's the only one that can cure the problem and not just cover it. Nothing else can do it. Cheap replacements will never satisfy us in our soul. You can change everything about your life, and you know it's not going to change your soul, and that's where the thirst is. You can change how you look, how you act, what you do, who you hang with, whose acceptance you seek. You can make it look good or make it look bad. But in the end, the thirst is in your soul. And wherever you are, there you are. But wherever you are, Jesus is at the well. And all you need to do is receive the living water from him. 
Again, the story, John 4, 21 through, 20, 21 through 24. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't even know. We worship what we do know for salvation. God has brought it through the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. It's a soul issue, not a mountain issue, not a place issue, not a looks issue. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. You know this is about you. And you need to know, I know it's about me. But I also know Jesus is there with living water that can spring up in your soul and eliminate your thirst. But you have to receive it. I love the end of that clip because you can see it in her face, right? I mean, she didn't bow on her knees and say a special prayer. You could see it in her face. She went from not believing to believing. And that changes everything because it changes the kind of water you drink. If you're really going to experience the satisfaction you're looking for, then you need to accept Jesus because he's the only one that can quench your thirst. John 4, 25 through 26, the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. He's here. He's got the living water. You just have to decide if you're going to believe or not, accept or not, drink or not. So before we end this conversation, would you just bow with me in a word of prayer? And as we bow in prayer, I just want to encourage you, please don't let this moment go. If you're ready to let Jesus quench your thirst, pray with me. Take my words and make them yours. And in your heart, not out loud, just pray in faith this to Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I, right now, I'm accepting you. I, I'm thirsty. I'm trying to find satisfaction apart from you. I've sinned. But you died on the cross to forgive me and rose again to give me new life. And I'm asking you to forgive my sin and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed with me, quickly let us know. All you have to do is text us the name of our church, Northridge. You can see it on the screen to that number, 31616. We'll send you a link. Fill it out. Get it back to us because we want to send you a book of the Bible in journal form and some other information. We'd love to get it in your hands, okay? Let us know. But there's one last thing. If you're going to really... Let God quench your thirst. If you're going to really experience an encounter with God, if you're really going from drinking water that doesn't satisfy to water that does satisfy, then like the woman in that story, you should have a need to share Jesus with other people. I don't know if you saw it. She didn't go to a special conference on how to talk about Jesus to her neighbors. She didn't go to special seminars or seminary to figure out how to tell people about all the religious things she just learned and which mountain to worship. None of that. When she drank the living water, 
She wanted to share the living water with others. We need to share Jesus. In, in this story, there are two interesting things revealed. First, the time. According to the story, it was the sixth hour. That's more than likely noon, the sixth hour. And it wasn't the usual time to collect water, of course, because it's just too hot. Who would go in the heat of the day? The second interesting fact is where she went for the water, because there was plentiful water way closer to where she lived. Plenty of water. So why did she go here? Well, because she was a woman with a bad reputation and she was hiding. Sounds familiar, right? We're all hiding. So Jesus came to call her out of her hiding. And then this woman, who did everything to avoid everyone, when she encountered Jesus, what's the first thing she did? Look at John 4, 28 through 30. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town she avoided and said to the people she avoided, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. A town came to the living water because a woman who had a genuine encounter with God couldn't help but tell others about the encounter. I think it's important for us to acknowledge that once a person really encounters God, it's a natural thing to want to share the encounter. And so the question I have to ask myself on a consistent basis is, why am I not wanting to share my encounter with God? Is it because I'm not really experiencing God? And how about you? I just want to encourage you, once you've encountered Him, Start sharing the encounter, and God can use that to change other people's lives. And just so you know, it doesn't have to start hard. You could do it by just simply inviting someone to church with you next week. Now, that's not the only way you should do it. There are lots of complex ways involved in this, but that's an easy place to start. Inviting someone to church. Why? Because they're thirsty, and they need the living water. And by the way, next weekend would be a great time because I'm not speaking. I mean, it'd be a great time. I mean, seriously, ooh, thank God that's happening. But even more importantly, Harvey Carey is speaking, and it's going to be a great, great weekend. If you've never experienced Harvey Carey, please don't miss next weekend. If you have, you won't, and make sure you invite people because he's going to share a story about a biblical encounter and it will be life-changing for you as well. Thanks, everybody.